Welcome to the Watershed Teaching Podcast. Watershed is the high school ministry of Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Perimeter Church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Watershed is a place where we hope high school students would connect, receive, and transform. We want to see students connect with God and others through healthy community, receive His truth through gospel-centered, grace-based teaching, and be transformed by the gospel to then go transform their world. Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.perimeter.org slash watershed. This is a depression talk. Welcome. Um, A lot of you think also front two rows, y'all are in the splash zone. This is probably going to be a teary one. So if you have a poncho, I suggest you wear it. If not, you might want to move back. Um, You may think you know me. But likely, very few of you do, and those of you that do are with me at the landing, uh, which is a recovery support group on Wednesday nights that deals with life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups where there are no walls as to what you can say, as to what you can confess, as to what you can put on the table. Uh, So I'm going to start this talk the way I start my landing groups. Hello, my name is Chase, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I struggle with clinical depression. Man, it's starting already. This talk is three parts. My story, what I think is a critical truth, and then finally some scripture that I think is hopeful. So first, let's get my first quote up here. This is from a book called Spurgeon's Sorrows that I have read once a month for the last two years because of the hope I find in it. This says, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. If you're one of those people that says things when depression comes up like they're just being dramatic, you're just doing it for attention, it's a fab, it's a trend, it'll go away. I want you to imagine what someone who struggles with depression, whose soul is dying over and over again each hour, feels when you say that. I had a whole other section on this, but it made me too angry, so that's all I'm going to say. So my story... I have been a downer since I was a child. My nicknames growing up were Eeyore and Oscar the Grouch. So sad and angry. Perfect, right from the start, right? Um, I've, I've always kind of been this way, but nothing really uh, got serious until I got to high school where I had uh, very little uh, to no friends. I would eat lunch alone in a bathroom stall because I was so afraid to go in the lunchroom because of the things that were said to me. Um, And then, this is kind of awkward because it has to do with puberty, but I didn't hit puberty until I was 19 years old. Um, Yikes for going through high school. Um, That is like a target like no other for bullying and getting picked on. In my junior year of high school, I started to have these suicidal ideations and later suicide attempts, and I'm not going to go into that because I don't think it's worth glorifying, and I don't know if that level of detail is necessary, but I want... Those of you who are suffering to know that I've been there. Two years after high school, uh, my parents and I reached this mutual agreement of, Chase, you need to leave. And I was like, yeah, I probably need to leave. Um, And so before I moved out, I went to counseling where the woman told me if I was a minor, she would likely place me on suicide watch. Uh, And I moved out for two years and basically played video games the whole time and everything was kind of okay um, until I got married. And what happens when you get married is 
It's almost like working in the church. You're like, everything's perfect, and then you start working for the church, and you're like, man, these people are not perfect. But Caroline got to step behind the curtain that happened when I closed my door when I went home. She got to see when the mask came off. She got to see the hours of being quiet alone, the tears as I tried to sleep. And she told me, Chase, I'm scared. I'm scared of what I'm seeing. I didn't know this was the case, but you need to get help. And so I did. I went to counseling, and I'm still in counseling. I have no shame in telling you that. I have no shame in telling you that he recently told me, buddy, you need medicine, like someone with a migraine needs ibuprofen. Um, something helpful he encouraged me to do was to write letters. I love to write. Those of you who don't roll your eyes at blogs have read my blog before, and you know that I process a lot of things through writing, and he told me to write letters, and so I did. This is the first letter I wrote to my depression. It's called Dear Misery. Oh, it's going to be tough. <clears throat> Dear Misery, you're a master of persistence. You drown my days in slumber and attack my nights with full force. My dreams even are so full of terror. I fall asleep afraid knowing you'll follow me even there, my dreams. What is your aim? What possible goal could you wish to accomplish by subjecting me to this torture? If it brings you pleasure, I do understand. Pleasure escapes me now too. I know what it means to be famished for joy. We're probably not so different, you and I. We both drain life from the things and people around us. Like you, few people welcome my company and enjoy my presence. They bid me to leave but cannot find the words or courage to send me away. Perhaps the delay is due to somewhere deep within the shadowed corners of their soul. They love me. Or maybe they hate me, but I don't think love and hate are so different. I am not a coward, and yet I have not asked you to leave but to stay. Maybe I love you, maybe I hate you. Perhaps you're my master and I an obedient slave. It matters not, we are bound, day by day, sleeping and waking, loving and hating, misery in me. I don't share this for pity, but I want you to know that I understand. That I know what it feels like to feel like you're rotting from the inside out and you're the only person who can smell it. I know what it's like to feel like you're in a shadow in the background of everyone else's reality and fearing that one day you'll fade so far you'll just cease to exist. I want you to know that I know what it's like to lay awake in bed at night feeling like you're drowning with two lungs full of air. Even in ministry, even being the person up here speaking, this is not exclusive to you as a high school student and it is very much real. Here's an important truth. Part two, pity party over. I think we handle depression wrong in two ways. Firstly, I'm going to call it this way faith alone. Theologians, your back just tensed up, it'll be fine. Secondly, I'm going to call that medicine alone. So over here, we're going to say faith alone. You might think, Chase, what on earth is wrong with faith alone? You know, sola fide or whatever Luther said, right? I'm going to give you an analogy. There's a man in southern Florida and his town is flooding. And he's standing on his roof as the water's rising. And 
uh, he's praying, God, please save me. I have faith that you will save me, deliver me from this. And his neighbor pulls up in a boat and he says, buddy, get in, we gotta go. And he's like, no, I am praying God's gonna save me. I have faith he'll save me. Go get someone else. And so he leaves. Next, a biplane with those little like duck pedals on the bottom flies down and lands on the water. And they say, buddy, we saw you on the roof. We decided to land. We got to go. You're going to drown if you stay here. And he says, no, I have faith. God will save me. Continue on. And lastly, as the water's reaching his ankles, he can no longer stay on his knees for fear that he'll be swept off the roof. He's begging and pleading, God, please save me. And a helicopter comes in, and it's the National Guard. And they hit him with a spotlight, and they drop a rope ladder with a carabiner clip, and they say, hook in. This is the last chance. We're not coming back because this is only getting worse. And he says, no, I have faith. God will save me. And they roll their eyes and they fly away. And the water rises to mid-calf and then his knees and then he's swept off the roof. And he stays up for a while, but then he drowns. And he stands before God and says, did you hear me? Are you even listening? I begged for you to save me. And God says, son, I sent a boat. I sent a plane And I sent the National Guard, and you told all of them no. I spent most of my talk crafting this next sentence. I have two pages at home, front and back, of different ways to say this, and this is what I landed on. Sometimes our lust for the supernatural clouds our judgment and causes us to mistake our foolishness for faith. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes our lust for the supernatural causes our judgment to be clouded and mistake our own foolishness for faith. Cool, okay, next side. Over here by medicine alone. This one's pretty self-explanatory. Scripture says, you know, whatever you're doing, eating or drinking, waking or sleeping, do it all to the name of the glory of Jesus. It is pretty clear, and we all know this, that he's supposed to be a part of every facet of our lives and every nook and cranny of our sadness and joy. He's supposed to be the glue that holds it all together. And so to push away one of the best resources you have doesn't make sense. Now, church people tend to drift toward this side. God will save me. I'm going to give you another analogy that goes right here. Let's say there's an empty road and you and your best friend are walking. You can't see anyone. And as you're crossing the street, a car flies by and hits you. And you're now laying dying on the pavement with your friend next to you. No one in sight. Your friend has three options. Firstly, they can pray for you. Secondly, they can call an ambulance. Thirdly, they can pray and call an ambulance. I think we would all agree that that's the best option. So this is not a both and, or this is a both and, gosh. It is not an either or, it's a both and. Um, And I want to make that crystal clear because I am so tired of hearing depression talks telling me to pray this thing away. I've tried. And I want to be clear, could God do that? Yeah, why hasn't he? I don't know, baffles me. We'll get into that later. Our scripture tonight is out of 1 Kings. Can we get the scripture up there? 1 Kings 19, 3 through 7 says, Then he was afraid, talking about Elijah, he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, I think that's how you say it, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. If you struggle, that hits your soul. 
It is enough now, O Lord. My translation that I wrote this in, he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. I got three points from this. First one. Elijah wanted to die. Elijah's a big deal. He's a big deal as far as, as, as faith is concerned. You know, Lord, I have had enough. I don't know if Elijah had a mental illness like I do. But my application from this is please know it is not for lack of faith that you're suffering. It is, I want you to hear that again. It is not for lack of faith that you're suffering. Second point. God didn't leave Elijah. I want to call special attention to how he interacts with Elijah here. We see God in a lot of ways in scripture. We see him in a pillar of fire and a burning bush, a cloud of thunder. But here it says God touched him, or the angel rather touched him. This is a tender thing for someone to be suffering and to be awoken by a touch, not a shout, not a shake. I think back to when I was a kid and I'd have a stomach bug and I'm throwing up and I'm laying there finally asleep and miserable and my mom would come and, and just like touch my shoulder and be like, sweetie, wake up. I have clear Gatorade and crackers. <laughs> this is God the Father manifest to me. Point three. God provided physical means to help Elijah to have the strength to continue. Do you notice what God doesn't do here? Do you notice he doesn't wipe out the people that want to kill him? Did you notice he didn't reach into Elijah's mind and change his mindset? He said, no, you're tired. Here's some bread. Here's some water. Rest. Sometimes God provides material things to help our material needs. And I really don't want this talk to just be like a please go get help, right? But I think often we look at scripture and think I'm a Christian, I don't need help. But this tells me physical means are not beyond Elijah and they're not beyond you. And they're not beyond God to use. I'm going to end just about right on time. Perfect. Last quote, also from Spurgeon Sorrows. This is to, to me and to y'all. Some of you may be in great distress of mind, out of which no fellow creature can deliver, deliver you. You are a poor, nervous, and sad people at whom others often laugh. I can assure you that God will not laugh at you. He knows all about that sad complaint of yours, so I urge you to go to him, for the experience of many of us has taught us that, quote, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, just like he was to Elijah. In conclusion, maybe, maybe you pray and God takes this away. I've heard stories. I've never seen anything. But I've heard stories of that happening, and it is well within God's omnipotence to do that. Please don't think it's too great a task for him. So he could do that, and maybe he will. 
but maybe God's grace also comes through the resources and people he's provided. Through people he's given gifts to in psychology, in psychiatry, that, that, that have researched and know what they're talking about and can help you. And as you pursue that through prayer like me, you can find just some relief. If you're here and you're suffering, and you, like me, have reached a point where you're like, I no longer want this. It is enough, Lord. I don't want to live anymore. Oh, man, I hurt for you. Please don't leave here and not talk to someone. Because you are definitely not alone. If you're one of those people who's struggling and you wear it on your face like I do, people tell me, Chase, you look so sad all the time. And I say, that's because I'm sad all the time. I want you to know I see you, and you're not alone, and this is perhaps the majority. If you're one of those people that feels like on the inside you're dying, but it is unacceptable to show that to anyone, and you're wearing a mask, I want you to know it's okay. It is okay not to be okay, because in the words of Louis Giglio, I'm not okay, but God is. I hope this has been kind of encouraging. I've never been more nervous to give a talk in my entire life. Um, I hope you have found this encouraging. Please, if you're struggling, talk to your leader. Be open with your leader. From firsthand experience, I can tell you the most damaging thing you can do is just harbor this thing in your chest and let it rot because it doesn't stop. I'm going to pray, and we're going to go to groups. Father, we know you're good, and we know that you're a God of compassion and love. God, we ask for those of us here that are suffering that you would lift this burden. We're tired. I'm tired. We ask that you would lift it, but if you choose not to, give us the courage to seek the other resources you've provided. Give us the courage to speak out to those we trust and to begin to talk about it so healing can begin. We pray this in your name.
Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, that, I think that's such a powerful message, and, and there's, a, there's a modern day reality of that. If, if you didn't know, this weekend is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and that is a story of a guy who confronted a system, and such good transformation came from that, that kind of like, that mess that was happening. He confronted the system, and so much of what the world is in America right now is different because of one man surrounding himself with the people who stood up against the system. So I 100% appreciate what Jeff was saying, and I think health comes when we do that. So remember what this weekend is about as we kind of like enjoy tomorrow, a free day of school and stuff.